All right. Welcome back to a, another episode of the USL show. Um, you can't see my face, and most people would argue that's for the better, but you can't see the faces of you know the three other people who are joining me today. Um, it's been a while since I've been here, so it's been so nice to see them again. But of course, I've been listening back and enjoying what they've been doing. But uh, there's been a lot going on. The soccer wars are officially you know, moving away from the Cold War period to full-on nuclear warfare. And by nuclear warfare, I mean bad Twitter memes. Um, We are into the space of champions being named, people moving up from League 2, people from the W League going over to Europe, and the championship is being just as weird as League 1. And League 1 is just on crack as always. But we'll get into that, I guess, in a little bit. But uh, first up, Ryan, my man, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kaylor. How are you doing? Welcome back. Hey, I can't complain. I feel like my voice is gone, but I haven't done anything to make that happen, so I don't know what's up with that. But I'm doing great. I'm doing great. John, how about you? Yeah, I mean, just like Ryan, doing well and happy to have you back on the panel. Oh, man. And then we down below me, we have the guy that we're having our first matchup ever with Loyal versus Legion. Alan, how you doing? Great. Uh, we got a, a game tomorrow, a game Saturday. You know, San Diego fans are buzzing around here for both baseball and uh, soccer. Uh, it's it's great. And school starts, I think my first report date is Thursday. So it's uh, about to get super busy. So this is kind of like my last gasp of freedom. I have my first day of going into class. My first day is tomorrow. So, yeah. That's super exciting. Although, didn't the Padres just go on like a five-game losing streak? Wasn't that true? We just call that like a normal week for Padres. So, like, (laughs) very up and down around here. That's a normal week without Juan Soto. But, hey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But we have – this has been a busy week. And I figure – I mean, I do want to go ahead and start off – before we get into the, I guess the, one of the bigger news that we've we've gotten recently, some of the most important news. I mean, USL League Two named their champion. Man, Ventura County goes on and wins it two one, in an absolute banger of a match. It was back and forth, just back and forth action of this basically track meet the entire time. Some amazing saves, and finally in the eighty fourth minute, a game winner. Over, uh, I mean, what are they? I I know it's something island. I can't remember. I'm blanking now. Long I had Island, it. Rough Long, Long Island Rough Riders. Rough Riders. Yeah. yeah. Were there ever Rough Riders in Long Island? <laughs> I, I feel like it's a loaded question, and I'm not sure how family friendly this show is before I answer that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we have to change the explicit button on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> man yeah um yes my the see mitchell in the comments uh already bringing up miami fc has fans what i don't think miami fc has fans but the miami fc they're massive absolutely massive you just people forget to add in the the but yeah there were some really good saves in this final it was a really good time i don't know if you guys got a chance to check out some of the highlights but man what they were posting on Twitter and all the 
these uh the equalizer was a great one i know it was a nice little chip some of the saves that were happening uh wessel spiel uh put an insane save off of not the crossbar but the field goal above the crossbar that crossbar um you know chicago bears fans are currently shaking um at the at the thought of it <laughs> but did you guys have a chance to see any of the League 2 highlights or any of the match itself? Big congrats to uh, Ventura County for winning their first one since 2009. Yeah. And Des Moines, I, I think a lot yeah, of people um, thought Des Moines okay. was going to make it. Sorry, go ahead, John. Yeah, no, I mean, we're just thinking about Des Moines. Uh, we're going to touch on them again in a minute, but Corey Herzog there early in the season. I think the cool thing with... Uh, this final that we just had was that Ventura County has been around for 15 years. Uh, the Rough Riders are existing for 25 years. These aren't just teams that cropped up recently. They have a real sense of community behind them, even if they aren't the biggest fan bases in the world. It was a well-played final. Um, I think my one bit of trivia is that Jermaine Jones's last, I mean, semi-professional soccer game came with Virginia County, which is really odd to think about but fun nonetheless <laughs> so strange um yeah uh by the way if you want updates on the championship uh the ooh atlanta united 2 just took the lead 1-0 over red bulls 2 and what has to be one of the worst matches I've ever seen on my side screen right now. It's just bad. <laughs> it's I've just never seen awful. that many fouls as there were in the first 60 minutes or so of this game. I'm surprised it took 60 minutes to get a red card. 66 minutes just to get a red. It's borderline impressive. I don't, I don't know. I... Also, when did this is just already me going off on tangents? But when did uh, Elena get a second Carlton? When did that happen? Does he have a brother? Have, it was it was this season, not related, but he has got a like sick ginger mane on him, where it might not be the best hair, but it is striking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you can ask, really. But. <laughs> Before we go and dive off, because I've forgotten how to run a podcast, um, listen, we got to talk about this Orange County. Like I said, the soccer wars are amongst us. And LA Galaxy, uh, which if you haven't heard, um, LA Galaxy 2 tried to kick out, um, allegedly, um, Orange County from their home in Orange County because apparently Carson is just too small for I don't know for something and so they tried to kick Orange County out which now they're saying they did not try to be exclusive even though they definitely were and now they're saying no 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 we never did that basically their statement came out and said we were cyber bullied on Twitter please stop (laughs) So I don't know who wants to jump in on this saga first, but the sock the soccer wars are, I would say, officially amongst us. But you know, it's been brought up before about the Chattanooga situation. I'm sure we'll jump in on that in a moment too. Yeah, I think the Chattanooga shout is not a bad shout. Um, I, I 
believe, if I remember correctly, uh, on the USL show when we talked about that, uh, we made fun of uh, Chattanooga, uh, the sad boys. Um, we still kind of tease them a little bit because it did, it, it, it did leave a bad taste in your mouth when USL did it. Uh, this one is, per, I think, even worse. Is like, not even we'll work with you. We're gonna come in and and kick essentially two teams out because uh, this is also the home of Cal Strikers or Cal United Strikers. Uh, and so it's multiple teams that use that as their home facility. Um, kind of the update from the orange and black guys, they're at the um, they're at the city council meeting. A couple of them are at the city council meeting. It's been pulled from the agenda uh, and is not being addressed at this point. Um, it looks like they're going to readdress it at some point. Maybe the the low dose or the galaxy saying, "No, no, we we don't want exclusive rights." Even though it says kind of exclusive rights, um, John Flores has three teams. Um, it it's um, it's Golden definitely State Force intend to play there, but they've not really done that. Who's that? Uh, Golden State Force okay. intend to play there and claim that, but they've not really like done it yet fair enough uh i know like ocfc has played there before but i think they have a, a new permanent home but this was like everybody rallied when you have phoenix fans uh coming to support orange county uh you know that it's it's a big deal and it really kind of sheds a light on how um you know fragile usl is and lower soccer is when mls can essentially just put a team wherever they want and usl can can pretty much do the same to lower leagues as well. Um, it's something that fans can hold their teams and their leagues accountable. Uh, we saw a huge uh, blow black on Los Angeles, and it made them put out a statement uh, saying they didn't have enough players to play. No, wait, that was Colorado. Um, <laughs> they, they are changing their mind and says that they'll, they'll work with the teams. But to me, that also is a little bit... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Disingenuous, because uh, San Diego has been through this before with with professional teams saying we'll work with you, and then they let some time go by. Say, well, we tried to work with you, and you didn't. We didn't come to an agreement, so we're just going to do this anyway. Um, I thought for sure uh, L.A. would just have the stadium by this point today. I thought the city council had already docketed it, which means they probably already made the decision. Uh, which they, which city officials tend to do, if it's on the agenda, the decision's already been made. You need to get a, get ahead of it and get in front of it, which I think is kind of a bigger problem for Orange County to to ask. Like, why did they not know, or did they know and they just weren't public about it? Um, so there, there's a lot of questions to answer around Orange County. There's even more questions to uh, answer around LA, and this really just shows that a, a team that wins a championship one year could be run out of town by a guy with a lot of money, right? If someone comes into a city and says, we're going to, we're going to invest in your city and we're going to invest in this thing that you used to have to upkeep. And now you don't, and we'll cover all of the costs that you would have got from these other three teams. Uh, if you give us exclusive rights, cities are going to be like, Oh, this is better financial decision. So sure. They don't, they don't care what's on the crest like a fan does. And so that's why it's really important for fans to take up the mantle and speak out against it. Yeah, there's something that um, John wrote on Backhill, but I want to get your thoughts first, Ryan. Um, we've talked about this one before, and I feel like it should be said because Chattanooga fans are right. It wasn't talked about enough, but 
USL did this to Chattanooga FC as well. And I feel like that was kind of forgotten in the hecticness and the USL is elite. We're going to take down the big boys. And if, you know, we, we roll over who's in our way, but that kind of makes us just as bad or just as good, whatever, as the MLS, you know, what, I guess, what can we as USL fans almost do to rectify that issue? Do, is there anything that we can do or is it just to pressure, you know, the USL itself to become more bonded with other leagues? I think it's tough. I mean, in, when you have a league like MLS who's trying to become basically run in the same way as the NFL who would want to be the only game in town, it's very difficult within the lower soccer ecosystem to try and go up against and fight that. I mean, we've seen online, Mike Pendleton has posted his attendance graphics throughout the season that Los Dos doesn't get any attendance when they do open the stadium. And when they do, they can still play within some of the venues they have around Carson. Um, you have an Orange County team who goes through 4,000 fans each game and has at least done successfully and has been a longstanding member of USL. And it's like really disheartening to see MLS who, who basically by all accounts should be wanting to grow the game in this country, trying to do their best to basically kill grassroots soccer where they are. Yeah. I mean, John, you talked about it in backfield talking about a little bit of the issues of CFC and the sad boys of Chattanooga, which I guess maybe we shouldn't call them that after the dismantling of triumph, but whatever. Um, what, what did you do? What did you kind of find when you did your research with backfield on that? Yeah, I think the first wave of the research that I did was just looking into uh, a lot of the documentation from the Irvine council and talking with some people uh, related to Orange County. And they made it clear that over the past year, the city has been basically non-responsive in terms of Orange County, trying to just get this sorted out to renew the situation, to take over a lot more of the maintenance of Championship Soccer Stadium. And the city has just gone mum. So if you're reading the tea leaves, it means that the Galaxy have been at this for more than just this recent stretch. And I think if they're successful in the ultimate takeover of the venue, it undercuts years of Orange County SC building up a supporters culture in the city, building up the youth apparatus that has been so successful for this team, not only in Southern California, but getting that infrastructure that can develop somebody like a Kobe Henry. And a lot of what I wrote about in the backfield piece was extending this to some of the vitriol that we're seeing from MLS and MLS Next Pro towards USL, League One, and the championship alike, where Nashville very particularly chose to put their affiliate team in Huntsville, Alabama, which is known to be a USL League One target market. There have been longstanding rumors of DC United sort of abandoning Loudoun and putting their affiliate in Baltimore, which is another USL target. Uh, you had the controversy in Spokane. There's rumors of uh, Next Pro trying to poach various markets that could be joining the USL. This is just another example of MLS undercutting a, not even a rival league, because that's not what USL is trying to do at the end of the day. They're building something that recognizes MLS as a step above, and MLS can't see that. 
and my ultimate conclusion in the piece was that this is just yet another example of American soccer missing the forest for the trees, being too profit driven and not doing what's best for the future of the sport in this country. And I hope that it turns out the best for Orange County because I love their supporters. I love the team on the pitch. But even if it does end up that way, it's still a sad reflection of where the sport is at in a lot of ways. You know, it's funny, though, because we say that it's not really a competition between the two leagues because the USL fully recognizes that it's the second tier, third tier, fourth tier, right? But I don't know. If you look at the ESPN ratings, we know those few matches that we've seen on there, while MLS has a bigger pool because it's a bigger name, it's been around for it's been a mainstay in, I guess, U.S. circles for 20-plus years. Um, USL wasn't that far off. The USL was not that far off on TV ratings. And whether fans like to think about it or not, tickets and the seats don't make up a lot of money. Sponsorship money makes up a lot of money. Ad revenue makes up a lot of money. And so when the USL is pulling in not too dissimilar numbers on ESPN, ESPN's going to offer the same kind of sponsorship, offer the same kind of, you know, deals there. And USL might be able to come in with not similar money to MLS because the money's just not the same, but at least take away a chunk of the money that was once MLS's. While MLS is not going to become poor by any stretch, they're losing their cut of the pie that they once had a monopoly on. And, I think that's one thing that we haven't seen in this country is a second division actually push the first division. And it's going to be really interesting next year with uh, Super League, which Hartford accidentally leaked that they're getting a Super League team. Um, you know, how the Super League and NWSL work out because Super League's minimum wage, if they stay with the current championship minimum wage, is only about $8,000 less than the NWSL. And their actual player union agreement is not too dissimilar to the NWSL. So someone who is a borderline NWSL player would get more than minimum wage at the USL level and probably get to go closer to home. Uh, you know, that's kind of assuming, but they're going to be going to those kind of markets there's going to be in some ways that maybe the championship or the Super League, the women's equivalent to the championship, is a sexier option. And we are going to have a full-blown soccer wars in the women's game, too, starting next year. I do want to I put out... To push, oh, go ahead, yeah. I do want to put out a quick little plug. Orange County, Orange and Black Soccer Cast will be recording at 8.30 tonight, so they will probably be putting out a bunch of updates either on the social medias or through their podcast if anyone wants some some more like what happened today at city council. Um, so just I wanted to shout that out really quick um, that there'll be more information from them probably pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's 1130 Eastern for your insomniacs on my coast. <laughs> um, but I do I do want to push back a little bit, Kayla, on that point about USL competing with MLS. And it's well received in terms of what you're talking about, especially with the TV point. But I think MLS commands so much more money at the ownership level, so many more eyeballs, because like it or not, 
a lot of very casual fans really read into the first division versus second division uh, distinction. If you look at the, say, attendance jump between teams that have uh, gone from the USL to MLS, it's a real factor for people, whether it matters or not. And for the Galaxy, who just signed Ricky Puig off of FC Barcelona, who are the former club of David Beckham, to go in and say, let's plant our uh, affiliate team that doesn't draw a single fan into a city with a well-built soccer community is borderline offensive to the idea that there's really a coherent pyramid in this country. And it just speaks to the fact that MLS doesn't recognize the value of the infrastructure beneath it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, John just dropped it into the chat. Baby Bulls did just tie it up despite being a man down because this is a stupid, stupid match. <laughs> well, MLS is trying to treat basically the infrastructure as everything like minor league baseball does, that everything has to support the mothership, that if you're not in any way supporting MLS, it's somehow against what basically professional sports in this country. But it's also like you look at some of these other markets they're going into that should be fully capable of having their own independent team, not something that just supports a nearby location. Like, could you imagine if like Chicago came into Milwaukee and said, you're going to be our team, no matter our rivalry between the States, or I imagine Baltimore could probably do just as well, maybe even better than DC in drawing their own independent team if they had one. Yeah. It's just, it's bizarre to, to watch. And I guess this is not exactly me pushing back on your pushback, John, but except for the Bundesliga, the level between the first and second division is massive anyway. The Bundesliga uh, to Liga, whatever you call it, um, is obviously the most well attended. But you look at the difference between someone who's mid-table in the English championship and you look at someone who's mid-table in the Premier League, that attendance is absolutely insane. Um also, talking about putting the team in Huntsville, I haven't talked about that enough. I hate it so much. I was talking to Jake Roof, um, Legion's left back, who uh, is from Huntsville, and at that point, uh, Next Pro wasn't announced, and there was some real conversation that he was going to drop down to League One for a while and wait until Huntsville was announced as a League One team and just for him to go home. Now that's not an option and that's insane. And this is going to be a big deal in our neck of the woods because guys like, well, let's say Johnny Dean who trialed at Nashville this last summer, he's from Northern Georgia. Huntsville's even closer to home for him. So if they offer him a similar wage and the ability to be closer to home and a chance to play for Nashville, why wouldn't he leave? And just like that, that's going to be the kind of stories that you're going to be seeing, you know, drawing more and more talent out of the USL. It's just ridiculous. And I'm not saying that they specifically put, you know, Nashville too or whatever they're going to call them um, in Huntsville just to pull guys like Johnny Dean. But obviously those kind of people that maybe would have gone to Legion or would have gone somewhere like uh, Chattanooga or Greenville or North Carolina, they don't have to anymore. They can stay in the Southeast and have a chance to go play MLS. It's, it's insane. But anyway, um, 
there was um unless anybody else has any thoughts on this um which the trash pandas they just had their own thing with fireworks shooting at fans which is an interesting decision i don't think they meant to do it but it still happened um yeah by the way san antonio finally gets a number two after having both of their backup keepers retire um they go out and get des moines uh keeper who was absolutely insane uh really good keeper um who i'm losing his name now uh grant uh, michaela i think is how you pronounce his name uh, Cody Lenardi uh, is his agent, and we saw th- him uh, teasing that, saying a USL uh, locker room near you. And as it turns out, near you just means San Antonio. So, yeah, that one's uh, and that's pretty cool seeing guys who stood out in League Two get the jump up to League One in the championship. And now that you know League Two season's over, we're about to start seeing a massive influx of League Two guys make that jump, and I am stoked. It's really cool to see when the pipeline works, especially within the USL, which has made such an intentional decision to try to build that out, where if you succeed in League Two, you can move up to League One, you can move up to the championship. If you ball out in League One, a la, say, like Aaron Malloy, Charlie Dennis in Oakland, you're going to get a chance in the tier above you. And I mean, I guess we're making this the official crap on MLS show, but you don't get that chance if you're an all-star, all-league level guy in the USL championship to get the step up to Major League Soccer because of the arcane roster regulations, all of the Byzantine machinations that they have there the weird perceptions of the quality of the second division. And that's not the case in the USL where San Antonio smartly recognizes that a good player in league two is going to be equally good in the championship because the gap just isn't that massive when it comes down to it. So I think it's just a really good indication of what the league setup is doing right at this moment in time. And not to mention the, I would say even more so the new goal isn't just going to MLS, it's going to Europe. And as we've seen from a few transfers this year, that's certainly more than feasible for those really stellar players within USL. Uh, I'm just confused what a empire that was founded in 330 AD has to do with MLS. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, this is super exciting. Um, I know one of my key points of scouting during the offseason is seeing which League Two guys can make the jump up to the championship. I mean, that's how we uh, Legion got guys like Bruno Lapa, which John did the numbers on, I think, last week now on how insane Bruno Lapa actually is. And he was just chilling down there with NC Fusion, just living his best life. And it's guys like that, which I know uh, USL now has the international slots thing, but it's still so much more, man, much easier to understand than MLS. It's not as strict. So you get guys from Brazil, from Costa Rica, from Peru, from those kind of countries that maybe wouldn't have been able to make it in the US or maybe couldn't make it in the second tier of their home country or maybe their home country's top flight is nowhere near as good as the second tier of here. Um, Like uh, Eddie Horvat for Legion. I asked him what the top tier of Slovenian 
uh, football was like. And he said, it's not even close to what it, it is here. He was like, if you go to Slovenia and you go to the USL, the guys here, it's a bigger gap between the USL and top tier Slovenia than it is between USL and MLS. It's just that different. And so seeing, seeing how different that can be, it's exciting seeing guys being able to make that jump and having guys who are internationals maybe able to go to college here, get a chance to look at USL League 2, make it to League 1, and then go to the championship and so on and so forth. Maybe get sold on to Europe, like Ryan said. And USL has certainly benefited CONCACAF as a whole. You could see it just in the quality of our World Cup qualifiers that you see so many USL players find themselves across multiple teams within Central America and the Caribbean that has just benefited the region as a whole. And a rising tide is going to raise all ships. Yeah, so we have done a whole lot about talking about everything that was not the week that was except for a kind of a little bit on the pitch with league two um somehow baby bulls have taken the lead against Atlanta united too because that defense is made out of swiss cheese um they're bad bless them um <laughs> i i don't know how many people live by fought mobs ratings i think they're a decent indication but i don't understand their algorithm Against the Legion, their player Cobb got a 1.2. I have never seen a number that low on FODMOB. You have to almost intentionally be bad to get that low. That's impressive. I didn't think he was that bad when I watched him in person. I didn't think it was good, but I didn't think he was 1.2 worthy. Just insane. <laughs> but... Yeah, Let's talk I, about I'm an anti. I, I just do want to throw out. I'm very anti thought mob. It's like one of my main pet peeves when people cite those ratings as if they matter. And like clearly, you're mentioning that. Obviously, Noah Cobb didn't have the worst game in the history of soccer. There, like he was bad, <laughs> but everyone in that team was bad. And to assign blame like that is a little bit unfair. Yeah, I just I do think that it was a. It was interesting. I wish I understood the algorithm. Fought Mob is great if you want to keep up with standings, keep up with signings, keep up with stuff. Because I mean, I keep all the notifications on my phone, and I get this team got a red card, this team got this, and it's an easy way for me to keep up. And if something crazy starts happening, um, then I can turn it on. Like I turned off the Greenville versus uh, tr- uh, versus uh, Tormenta match a couple weeks ago. I turned it off because I thought surely the triumph won't blow this. And then Fop Mob started going crazy and I turned it back on. And that's a good time to use it. But those ratings are just not not useful whatsoever. But yeah, Jordan Farr was rated four point seven this past weekend. Oh, what what do you have to say about that, Alan? I I think that's pretty pretty low for him. I didn't think he was, was that bad. I think most of the goals were not necessarily his fault. Um but right. Even a three nil loss, he he gets a four point seven for some reason. I would I trust football manager grading my central midfielders more than Fop Mobs grading sometimes, but <laughs> it's fine. Um, hey, we I guess have... who's got access to the uh, FM databases for ratings now? Oh, nice, nice, good stuff. Yeah, is that mean the USL? So I can I can reflect your uh, Nick Moon bias now. Thank God. Someone 
do you understand how happy I was when I realized that Loyal were playing Legion this weekend? And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I get to talk crap to Alan on Twitter. And I was like, wait a minute. Nick Moon is coming to Birmingham. My dreams have finally come true. He- we actually we actually <laughs> petitioned the uh, team to uh, not put Nick Moon in the 18 for this weekend. You know, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> it's probably they're probably gonna be like, listen, dude, you have a crazy stalker fan in Birmingham. It's best that you don't get. I don't know. You're you're thinking about the wrong way. We petitioned him so he can sit next to you the whole game, and you can just like have the full ninety as, as a Nick Moon experience. <laughs> <laughs> the entire time, I'm like, dude, why didn't you sign for Birmingham? Seriously, just so, why? What did we not do? The weather, <laughs> but. What we we need to go ahead and talk about the week that was. Do we have any shockers and told you so's from the week that was? I guess I can uh, kick things off with the uh, kit that I'm wearing of the Miami FC's three and victory away at uh, New Mexico United was certainly very impressive. You get a, a brace from Kyle Murphy as uh, the Miami FC has now been unbeaten in their last four. Yeah, um, that was the subject of my tactic show this week. Joaquin Rivas has been one of the better forward attacking midfielder types for a long while in the USL across his stints in Tulsa, uh, St. Louis for a year. And Miami made the really brave choice to put him at wing back, despite the fact that he's not really the strongest defender traditionally. And absolutely paid dividends for an offense that has been underperforming week in and week out for the entirety of 2022. It was smart because when you're playing a midfield composed of Bolu Akinode, Speedy Williams, they can do whatever you need them to do defensively. They will cover from sideline to sideline, do everything when your wing back gets high. So if you've got Mark Segbers and Joaquin Rivas as your wing backs, that is such an asset for you, joining up with the attack, being able to create chances for Kyle Murphy, who just needs the service. He's proven for years that he's an amazing finisher. For me, that choice from Anthony Pulis really could change the way this season goes for Miami. And maybe they go lay an egg in Tulsa tomorrow in what's going to be a really huge game. But I'm fairly convinced on the strength of that victory in New Mexico that this is going to be a real uh, watershed moment for them. And it could really just separate the uh, Eastern Conference uh, playoff picture. It was for a few weeks that we were thinking that you could find a way to see like a Tulsa kind of climb their way back in. But now that they've kind of just opened back up a nine point gap with uh, 11 or 12 games remaining for most teams, depending on where you are, they could really uh, just kind of nail the coffin shut on who our Eastern Conference playoff teams are and potentially go above uh, Detroit City. Yeah, my, Miami right now is like almost one and a half points per game and Tulsa's just over one. It's a pretty big pretty big gap that if they can keep this up, it's just going to keep pulling, pulling away, um, which isn't surprising. I think if you look at the East teams, I, I think most people would assume that this was going to happen. There'd be kind of a, a top and a bottom um, and the West would be a little bit closer. Um, but I think uh, Kaylor, how did, how did your team score 13 goals in three games? Um, we were, we decided to start the soccer wars early and say, screw MLS two teams. Um, <laughs> that was kind of our decision. 
Um, believe it or not, um, this was kind of my told you so and shocker. Um, was my told you so was that the four one three two is the best system for Legion or formation for Legion to use and pressing is good. The shocker is that we actually did it, so that was cool. Um, I I don't know. Um, Atlanta United two looked bad. The fact that they didn't get their first shot of the night until I think like the fiftieth minute. Our defense was just really good against an Atlanta United two offense that I've been pretty high on because they have some good young talent that on their night can compete with just about anybody in the USL, and I fully believe that. Um, but man, they were not on their night. It was bad. Um, that's that's how you do that. The new guy, uh, Sadiq, came in and scored a goal. Uh, Enzo Martinez could have decided to have a hat trick plus two assists, but instead decided, eh, I'll just get another assist. I guess I'll give the new guy a goal. No big deal. Um, God, he's so good. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a shocker for me. I do appreciate that the darlings of the USL show uh, did Orange County a solid and beat <laughs> Los Dos 2-0. Um <laughs> The other thing is Phoenix Rising, while they not might not be winning games, they're not letting in goals, which is also particularly uh, a fascinating um, uh, project that they got going on. Usually Phoenix scores lots of goals, so the fact that they're surviving by just not giving up goals is pretty impressive. Um, I mean, I watched the end of that Las Vegas Phoenix match, and there probably could have been a couple goals in that one, I think. Uh, but Phoenix Rising kind of finding some form again uh, in kind of a shutout streak. Now they need to score some goals and put some stuff. Um, and then Colorado Springs kind of coming back to life to pull that one back um, on a interesting handball. I think Orange County fans were a little bit upset. Not a I handball, think, I don't think. Yeah, I think that one's hard because he like jumps and his hands are like this. And so it's like, I've seen worse handball calls this year, but that, that was a tough one to, to take as well. Um, Orange County probably should have deserved it. Yeah. Orange County probably deserved to win that one, but Colorado Springs kind of coming back to life um, is, is something also that was uh, a little bit surprising uh, given their kind of run of form as well. You know, my biggest shock of the of the weekend really is the fact that uh, serious, Seriously Loco decide to lose uh, 1-0 to Monterey Bay. I can't believe they decide to go out there and do that themselves. Um, completely tearing the club down from the inside. Um, really impressive stuff. Um, in all seriousness, though, Monterey Bay gets one shot on goal in the 80th, 88th minute and win. It was a bad game. Um, our good friend Phil, who decides to skip out on us again because he wants to be a quote unquote good dad, whatever. Um, you know, he even said like for El Paso, he this is the second worst stretch of you know soccer he's ever seen them play, and the first worst stretch came earlier this year. It's is bizarre what we're watching with them. If you look at the midfield that El Paso rolled out, it was Liam Rose, who signed two weeks ago, Edison and Esconia, who signed, uh, I believe, on Tuesday, and then Dylan Maris, who's obviously amazing. 
but they, I mean, they put Andrew Fox to left back where he hasn't played yet this season. Uh, Matt Boehner was at right back where he's a much more natural at the central position. Every single week, they're just finding a way to scrape out a lineup that gets them 11 healthy players. It's a tough ask to go and get results. And Monterey did the thing that they've been doing for weeks now, which is sit back, play deep in your 4-4-1-1, get something on the break and grind at a result. They've won four out of five games. My playoff odds have them getting close to the 20% mark of making it in the playoffs because they've got games in hand and they're not losing. And granted, this recent run of form has come against Loudoun, New York, Orange County. I don't think they're for real, but it's cool to see an expansion side do that after uh, we had the precedent of Oakland last year, for sure. So I think both of these teams are at a real inflection point as we kind of get down to it in the season. Yeah, you're looking at a Monterey Bay team, like you had mentioned, four in their last five, unbeaten in their last six. Uh, still the worst goal differential here in the Western Conference, but at us seven points outside of a playoff picture with two games or three games at hand over the teams around them, it's certainly not possible or certainly not unlikely for them to uh, get – a chance to move up. I mean, you have games against San Diego, Sacramento, and New Mexico in their next three. Yeah, with with uh, Monterey Bay, um, if they got all of their points, they have the points they have now, and then they win the remainder of their games. They're at sixty five points, which is still of kind of that that range of the standings is still the highest points uh, behind Vegas uh, as like total possible points remaining. Uh, they have more in Phoenix, RGV, Los Dos, El Paso, Oakland, and Orange County. So there's still a path forward for them. Um, obviously, they're not going to win every game from here on in. That would just be a sounds insane, like you're not a believer. Insane, insane run for that shield. Team. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's still a pathway forward for them, which speaks to kind of how wide open the West is. You can say the same thing for Phoenix as well. Um, I'm going to go like a little bit of a counter narrative to a lot of the things I've seen about the San Diego San Antonio match too, is everyone's like, it's a statement win. It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an important win, but you know, it, it's, you could tell that the, that San Antonio got tired at the end. They didn't have the subs to replace and San Diego literally subbed on their highest scoring goal or highest goal scorer of the season and their highest goal scorer of all time. And that's a huge difference, right? When you can stump on players like that and San Antonio just didn't have the depth. I think the statement win would have been if this was in San Antonio. Uh, I, I think San Diego plays really well at home, but I think they still have to prove that they're as nasty on the road. So it was, to me, it was a nice win, probably like the best win that they've had um, in, in a really long time. Uh, Cause in the past they've faltered against playoff teams uh, but I think there's a there's a little bit more nuance to this three nils against San Antonio this week um, that I think San Antonio was a little bit weakened and shorthanded. Um, and they're going to get a matchup in San Antonio not too long from now. September so will, 10th. Yeah, it will be a really big test for both teams. San Antonio will be up for it for sure. Uh, San Diego is going to prove that it wasn't a fluke. So I think that one's going to be a really big one to watch. This is obviously a huge win, but San Antonio didn't, they're still four points up and a game in hand on loyal in second place. Uh, so uh, maybe not the biggest 
defeat for San Antonio, but a huge win for San Diego. So for San Diego, a big win, but in the, the grand scheme of things, you know, I, I think it's maybe a little bit better than, than the scoreline gives you. And if you're looking comparatively at both teams kind of run in of games leading up to that September 10th meeting in San Antonio, San Antonio is about to kick off a three match home span against Loudon, Las Vegas and RGV, which could really see them build up a gap of points to uh, San Diego, as well as uh, two road trips to Indy 11 and Oakland before San Diego would come to town, where San Diego has a double match week with Monterey Bay tomorrow and then a trip trips to Birmingham and El Paso before Oakland and another against Monterey Bay before they go back into San Antonio. Well, luckily for San Diego, uh, Birmingham's really not a real away day, um, except for against MLS teams, MLS two teams. We suck at home. So that's great. Um, Truthfully, I mean, this is that's a match that we're going to talk about, I guess, a little bit. We're going to have to just burn through our predictions, honestly. But um, that's that's a match that, I think if if uh, this is a really just big weekend in general because we have Loose City versus Tampa Bay, we have Pitt versus Area Code, we have Loyal versus Legion, really really big matchups this weekend. And but I'm a little bit worried about Legion because I'm worried that we're going to overthink it because we just came out with a system that works really well. And someone tells me we're going to overthink that because we have you know, three matches in a week. Um, the one against Loyal, one against Detroit City, which really matters for the standing, standings. And then we have one against 901, which not only matters in the standings, it's also a big rivalry game for the fans. So, you know, what are they going, are they going to try to go full force in all of them? I don't think many teams have that kind of rotation to do that, especially when they're fighting for, a, you know, a home playoff game. We'll see. Maybe I doubt they take the Loyal match off per se but maybe we'll see a slightly rotated team to prepare for Detroit City 9-1 I don't know it'll be interesting to see though but there is one match we need to talk about before we burn our matches uh, for um, you know our predictions which we do need to tear through quickly but we do need to talk about this triumph match the sad boys of Chattanooga decide to come out and say you know what screw the top of the table greenville triumph they aren't that scary anyway they decided to take a note from tormenta's book and just say we don't care can somebody because i watched this match i still don't understand exactly what went wrong for greenville it it just felt like by i don't know what went wrong it felt like everything went wrong but it was not by uncharacteristic things it just kind of felt like Red Wolves were better. Greenville really bases their identity around that compact defensive system, a well-organized unit, and Chattanooga was just sending these waves of runners consistently getting in with space at the edge of the box. They got those two goals in the first six minutes, and it changed the whole aspect of the game. If you haven't seen the first goal from Cartagena, by the way, that was a banger. Go watch that. Um, Espinoza, number 99, which I love to shout out people who have weird numbers like that, but he was so fluid on the ball for uh, Red Wolves the entire match. That's the kind of performance that can really get you going if you're the Red Wolves. Greenville's in a bit of a funk now, too. I know they had opened up 
somewhat of a points lead at the top of the table and that is rapidly disappearing. I trust that they're going to get it done. Harks is too good of a manager to let this uh, run of form continue. But that was a statement win for the Red Wolves for sure and really something that they can build off of, especially in attack. What's interesting when you're looking at the table right now is if you're looking at the current top three, you have Richmond on a plus 13 goal differential, Chattanooga and third on a plus 10, and then Greenville just down on a plus two. I get a lot of that differential kind of evaporated with this win, but like looking across all the games that Chattanooga has had this year, they've picked up score lines of three to one, four, one, five, one, and this most recent one in a seven, one game. They're really when really helps build out this kind of just goal differential here as you're seeing a triumph team who's now two points off the lead and just one win in their last five as richmond are picking up three wins in a row yeah uh john does mention uh memphis nine ones uh night pickering's a uh, bike goal at the end against hartford there's something about 901 with bicycle goals in the last you know five minutes of matches they they just have a knack for doing that. So at this point, it's just more of a thing that they do. But what a goal. It was a brilliant goal, um, which, I mean, this one just hurts. But if you want to look at that, I think Ruiz Gonzalez, the third, the goal he scored against Legion last year, contested in the box, ends up going on his bike and scoring to either draw the game or win the game for Memphis. I'm trying to block that one out of our memory. But man, but Memphis just seems to do that where they just sign acrobatic people. But yeah, Knight Pickering, he's and he's a freak. He's going to be a problem if he stays like this. He looked good even outside of that bicycle goal. But yeah, let's go ahead and burn some of these matches because even though we can't be taught, we can't talk about a lot of them because we are running low on time. There is one I want to go ahead, jump out, and talk about immediately. And that is going to be this loose city versus Tampa Bay Rowdies. I want to start off with Allen for the predictions, but w- yeah, we do need to talk about this one. Pull mine up. Um, I picked Tampa Bay. Um, this is going to be like, I'm assuming knockdown drag out going to be a pretty fun fight. Two teams that are, you know, Outside of San Antonio, probably the top two teams in the entire league. Um, you know, Tampa Bay's won five in a row. Lou City's five, four wins in a draw. So both teams coming in hot. Um, I just like the way that Tampa Bay's been been playing and taking care of business recently, uh, scoring multiple goals. Um, last time they drew was Charleston in June 18th. Um so they've just been on an absolute tear uh, as of late, um, and I, I think that they have enough in them uh, to get this one over the line, even on the road. Yeah, going on to John next. Yeah, I went with the Rowdies here as well, and that's not a knock against Lou City. I don't feel confident about this pick at all, but... Tampa Bay hasn't lost a game since April 30th. They're getting uh, Robert Castellanos back as a defender. And obviously, they've not suffered in defense with his absence. But having someone who's an all league caliber USL defender with MLS experience back in the rotation is going to be huge. 
I think if there's an area where Lucidity is a bit susceptible, it's with the spaces behind the fullbacks. When they get into possession, they send those players up on the overlap. When they turn over, you can really go to war against them because Winder is a little bit slow to recover. Um, Sean Tosh doesn't have the legs on him at his age. That's tailor-made for LaCava and Fernandez to eat up. And I think with like the service you get from Nikki Law, from a Lewis Hilton, that could be trouble. So went with the Rowdies. Ryan? I think this is a really interesting game. I believe it is Tampa Bay's uh, first trip to Louisville since the uh, Eastern Conference Final in 2020, as the previous meeting we had earlier in the season on June 5th was one no result for Tampa Bay. But yeah, as John had mentioned, this is just a really tough game to try and predict. You could really see any of the type of results here. And when I see those type of games, I feel like that, that almost draw will uh, kind of be the results. So I, I'm going to pick with a draw, but I would certainly see either team winning this. I went with Lou City here because when I feel like these two these two teams are as tightly contested as they are, you know, tie goes to the home team, and Lou City's coming in close to a sellout, so it's bound to be a ruckus atmosphere. It's bound to be a lot of fun, and I just Lou City is just so good, and I know Tampa Bay is also so good, but I. After seeing, like I said, this Loose City team up and close, it's just so hard to imagine anybody beating them. And it, granted, you can say the same thing about the Rowdies. So the draw is probably the most likely result. But since it's at Louisville, I went with Louisville City here. Um, next match up is going to be the Miami FC versus Tulsa. Miami lock because they're playing Tulsa. <laughs> God damn it. I went with Miami as well, but um, I think I almost think the time that Tulsa has had off, I think it's going on 10 days at this point, maybe hurts them. They had found a semblance of form. They'd really been organized at the back. Uh, the move of Bradley Bourgeois to that center back position had been big. But, man, Miami was just clicking against New Mexico, and that's influencing me here. So the Miami FC for the win. Yeah, uh, Miami gets the win in this one, and they officially just kind of shut the door on the playoff picture in the East. I went with Tulsa partially because it's at home, and even though, even though Miami looked really good against New Mexico, New Mexico has been – underratedly really bad recently. So I don't know how to read into that match too much. So I am personally pick, picking Tulsa. Um, I'm probably wrong, but then I can just use that as ammunition to send back to their admin on Twitter. So it's really a win-win for me. So it's fine. <laughs> Next up, we have switchbacks versus uh, the locomotive of El Paso. This one was tough for different reasons. I ended up going with Colorado Springs. Uh, I, I think El Paso is really kind of in a funk, and Colorado showed that they have some fight left in them. Yeah, I went with the switchbacks as well. Um, that late substitution in Orange County to get Elvis and Mo on the pitch, go with the two center back look really ignited that side and you can blame orange county for sitting back but i think that 
maybe they're finally getting back to that early season form that saw them be so successful. And they're the better team in this matchup, frankly. So I'm going switchbacks. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a switchbacks team who just has two wins in the last 10. You have to go back to July 15th against Los Stos to get a result, to find their last win. Uh, if you're going to try and get that good result, there's no better chance to do it up against a very struggling El Paso team. So the switchbacks get the win here. Yeah, I went with switchbacks here. I feel like El Paso is going to get it right eventually because this seems to be what they do this season. They're bad, and then they're good, and then they're bad. But it's not going to come against Colorado. I just don't think it will. Um, next up, we have Orange County, where the Golden Boot leader right now is taking on a team who has five straight shutouts. Yeah, we're talking about that, Phoenix. Yeah, bizarre. I went with a draw here because... I went with a draw against Vegas and it worked out all right for me. Uh, so I'm going to go draw here. I went draw as well. I like what Phoenix is doing. Um, I did the tactic show about Darnell King uh, moving back to left back uh, two weeks ago. I think that the presence of Luis Sejas coming back into the squad has been big in terms of keeping possession, uh, adding some progressivity. That said, they just don't have that offensive spark still, and I don't love getting rid of Marcus Epps, so draw for me. I th- I'm going to go with the draw as well, but the big thing that I think would be really interesting is that you're looking at an Orange County team who has um, 10 goals in their last three games going up against the aforementioned Phoenix Rising team, who's five consecutive matches without conceding a goal. If Orange, if Phoenix can hold another match scoreless here, it would set a club record for consecutive games without conceding a goal. So I'm going to go with a draw, and I'll be very interested if they can keep uh, keep it nil-nil or if uh, it will be some goals in this one. I am personally picking Phoenix outright. Um, this just feels like a match that Phoenix is going to get up for because it's Orange County. Um, it just – eventually that offense has to click, right? And – I'd, I feel like this back line for Orange County is leaky enough that maybe Phoenix can get that one in, and once they see one go in, they can really lay it on. Um, my heart said draw, but like I said at the beginning of the year, I don't do draws because that's just bitten, that bit me early, so I'm going with a Phoenix win. Next up, we are going Hartford versus Indy. Uh, I went with Indy. I didn't feel great about it. But um, this is, like again, an, a difficult decision for other reasons, right? Indy doesn't play particularly well on the road, but Hartford doesn't play particularly well. Um, so um, this was a tough one, but I, I think uh, I, I'm picking Indy. I locked this one for my 11, and I'm pretty honest about the fact that it's kind of a homer pick, but... Indy hasn't won in a couple of months at this point, and Hartford is sort of bad. Indy's been bright at the same time, and Wantahata coming into the attack has completely ignited the press in a way that you didn't see from the team early in the season. So I think they're going to use that spark to force some turnovers, get some goals, and beat that Hartford athletic side. 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned not winning in a couple months now. You have to go all the way back to June 4th against Charleston Battery, a 4-3 victory away to find Indy 11's last win. Hartford also similarly struggling with their last win coming up against Colorado Springs on June 28th. But, yeah, I just I feel like Indy 11 is going to get the result here and draw level with FC Tulsa on points. Um, so I went with Hartford here. Um. I really just went with Hartford because I've seen Hartford be very organized at the back. We've seen them when then they want to, they can get four, six, eight people behind the ball and you're just not going to score on them barring just something awful happening, which it's Hartford. It could, but even though Indy is starting to get more of those offensive pieces, I just, I haven't seen it happen fully you know all of them clicking at once and i don't think one person's going to be able to break down an eight-man back line which is what hartford's going to do and like i said don't pick draws so draw goes to the home team in my book so i went with hartford here um next up we have another interesting matchup three versus four in the east we have pitt versus area code fc yeah i'm not sure why i was so confident in picking Pittsburgh here. Um, but that's where I went. Um, decent run of form, although Memphis has also had a good run of form, or actually good run of form and a decent run of form for Memphis. Um, I just, I, I think Pittsburgh, this is the time of year where they start to maybe put something together and, and, and push up for a home playoff match, uh, which is going to be, uh, an important this is an important matchup for that very reason, so that's why I went with Pittsburgh. I went with the draw here, but I could see this going either way. Um, I think that Aaron Malloy is going to have a big game. Pittsburgh very particularly chose to rotate their squad this last weekend. I think trying to give some important players rest in front of a big game. That said, I'm tired of sleeping on Memphis at this point. I don't con- I've not considered them a title contender, but they play like one. Their offense is so fluid. They're a really good team, and I think that this is going to be the first step to proving that. That said, Pittsburgh's good, so it's a draw. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh is just, like, at home, they're just very good, and if you're looking at Memphis's away form, the only team currently occupying a playoff spot that they've beaten away from home is Colorado Springs. I do think this game will be a really good kind of mirror on what we saw at the start of the season when you saw Pittsburgh go into Memphis and get a 3-0 victory to start the year just to compare those teams from where they began. But, yeah, Pittsburgh at high mark is just another really stellar team, and they get the result here and make it very interesting for this uh, kind of these last couple home playoff games. Hopefully there's no red card. <laughs> yeah, I went with Pitt, and I locked this one. Um, I didn't really want to lock it, but there weren't really many matches on here that I felt comfortable with locking. And so this one just kind of fell to default. Um, when in doubt, Lily ball, um, that's kind of how I feel half the time I pick these matches. Um, pit at home is going to be a big uh, test for uh, Memphis. Um, I do believe in what they're doing offensively. I do believe in what they're doing as a team, as much as that pains me, but, I also think that Pitt has a lot of experienced players for this situation 
that they'll be prepared to deal with the atmosphere, prepared to deal with the jitters, prepared to deal with this level of competition that maybe some of the Memphis players just won't be. Um, we've already talked about the Loose City versus Tampa Bay Rowdies. So next up, we are going Legion versus Loyal. Loyal, Dad. I just think with Kyle Vassell back uh, and playing, it really is pick your poison on how you stop San Diego from scoring. Uh, I think on two balls and a mic, I said I thought this would be a 2-2 draw, but I know Kaylor Hodges hates draws, so I thought I would have to pick a winner for this one. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I went San Diego as well. Um, when I posted about the San Antonio game, I was very confident about the fact that Vassell is such a difference maker in this team. And even though I improperly identified uh, Timo Shabane as uh, Thomas Among and got lots of hate from the San Diego faithful about that, I think that no matter who you're throwing out as the forwards, this team is crazy good in attack, and that's going to carry them here. Yeah, I'm uh, backing San Diego to win this one as well. I'm actually making it my lock pick this week. They have 11 goals in their last uh, four games. And if uh, results go right this weekend, depending on how this week, depending on how San Antonio do, you could find Loyal atop the Western Conference. The one consistent that I can find with Legion is that they may not score. I mean, we're playing at home and we're not playing an MLS2 team, so we probably won't score. But we still have a really great defense so that itself is going to keep us in this match. Um, I picked loyal here. This feels like a match that's destined to end in a one, no win for loyal or a two, one win for loyal. Um, I would love to be wrong. I would absolutely love everything to be wrong, but it just, until I see Legion really dominate a team at home, that is not a two team. I just can't see myself picking them at home. Um, it, that's tough to say, but it is what it is. Um, we are going to go ahead and move over to League One, where we have Triumph versus Kickers, which is a really interesting matchup that, after last week's match against Red Wolves, is now a whole lot more interesting. Yeah, I went with Triumph here. Um mostly because I think maybe there's a bounce back here and also because I really miss Gio. Uh, I know he's doing well, uh, but I really miss him, so I went with Triumph. Yeah, we're suffering from good dad syndrome with uh, Gio and Phil a lot this uh, recent stretch. Although the opposition is in pretty good form and got a nice little win, I'm going with Greenville here. They're due for a rebound, as Alan just mentioned. This team is too good to keep... Uh, dropping points like this and I think they get the win I will say the one pause I have with this is this was probably my most difficult game to pick for League One this week was um, you have to go back to at this point around last season when the Triumph went four consecutive uh, games at or sorry yeah five consecutive games at home without a win during that time and this if they do not pick up a result in this game would then make it three consecutive at home without a win. So I think Triumph get the rebound victory here, but it's a very just kind of cautious pick on my part. I'm going with Triumph here, and it's partially because I believe that Triumph need a rebound, but also it's kickers away from home. They've gotten a few results now away from home, but I still don't trust them away from home. 
So even though it's a close drive, it's just something about being away from Richmond that it just freaks them out for some reason. So I went with uh, the Greenville Triumph. Next up, we have Tormenta versus uh, the Independents. If I get my mic to stay on. Uh, I went with Tormenta here, um, although I, I think I was le- I'm doing the uh, the – Taylor Hodges lean toward the home team lately in USL League One. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm uh, at with this one as well. I recently was watching back a good bit of uh, Charlotte tape for something I've been working on. But um, sorry. Corey Bennett, Miguel Labara, all of the talent they have on attack is finally starting to click. And I really think that's going to uh, pay dividends for them as the season wears on. So I went with Charlotte here. Tormenta in their last five home games have scored uh, 13 matches this span, basically over the uh, summer months that we've had here. And it's been, at least as a team that started off the year kind of struggling uh, to get results at home, has been at least something that they've tried to work on and turn around here. I think uh, Tormenta bounces back from their 2-0 defeat to Northern Colorado and picks up a win. I went with Tormenta here, and it's kind of for the opposite reason of John. Tormenta, their center back pairing is one of the best in the league. Um, granted, in League One, that doesn't really matter because it, it's League One. But, I mean, I think that that center back pairing finally being back at home. I say finally, they were just at home. But, you know, finally starting to play well at home because Tormenta was not good at home for a while. And it seems like they're finally starting to at least play better there. I think that this is going to be a win for Tormenta. Um, next up and last, we have Ford Masson versus the Red Hot Red Wolves. Uh, in solidarity with uh, being anti-teams who want to steal uh, other teams' markets, uh, I went with Madison this week. That Tormenta 5-1 against Greenville really has me believing, so I've got them picked here. I just think that they're going to carry on that momentum for at least another week. I went with Madison in this one. These are two teams who are currently uh, the only ones currently in the league unbeaten in their last five. And if Madison can pick up another uh, win or draw, it would tie their all-time club record for six consecutive games um, unbeaten. So I feel like they get a win and continue to make the playoff picture in League One very interesting. Yeah, I went uh, with Ford Madison here. I really like what I've seen out of them recently. Obviously, Red Wolves look really good, but I've really liked what I've seen consistently out of Ford Madison. Red Wolves are were bad, and then they looked really good against Triumph, and then I don't know, but Ford Madison's just been consistently just really good after deciding to start off with only getting draws for points, which is a decision. But, you know, they've finally started going on a roll, and I've liked what I've seen out of them. But unless anybody has any other final USL thoughts, um, I think that's it for the show. So do you guys, anybody have anything else you want to say about the week that was or the week that will be? Cool. All right, well... What are some final thoughts we have for the day? Let's go ahead and start off with Ryan. 
Yeah, just excited to have a really cool weekend of USL ahead. It should promise to be a lot of really good uh, just matchups and everything. So just looking forward to it. Beautiful. John? Yeah, two irrelevant things. Uh, I know Ryan and I are invested in Tottenham, so getting that 4-1 to one win against uh, Southampton over the weekend was nice. Kulishevsky was utterly unreal on that left foot, uh, pivoting completely away from that. I've been binging the Stanley Kubrick oeuvre of movies. I got to see The Shining in a small indie theater near me. I'd, I'd never actually seen The Shining before this and kind of blew me away. Yeah, I never, yeah, Alan is <laughs> reacting as if I just like shot him. Uh, <laughs> I, but just like, yeah, I mean, if you have an indie theater near you and it's showing something weird or fun or classic that you've not seen, go support that because the movie industry post pandemic is in such a weird, bad space. So that's something that you can support. It does things for local business that I think is really important. I mean, we didn't really hit on it with Orange County, but the effect of having 5,000 passionate fans going out to all the local businesses versus a handful of family members of Galaxy 2 people at the uh, stadium in Irvine is a big deal. And that extends across the whole slate of things you can be doing. So kind of wrapping up and connecting back to that here. Full yeah, circle. Some, some of my favorite movie experiences have been in those small independent theaters. And it's just really cool. Yeah. A, a little bit of a uh, tidbit of information, uh, John, is that uh, I was married in the hotel that inspired Stephen King to write The Shining. It's in Estes Park, Colorado. It's called the Stanley sure. Hotel. And in that hotel, they have a channel where they play Stanley Kubrick's The Shining 24-7. Like, so <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's quite a hotel. It's pretty fun to stay at. It's got a really great whiskey bar. So if you're ever in Colorado in the, uh, in the Boulder area, just drive up the mountain into Estes Park. Uh, gorgeous in the summer. It's more of a hunting town than a ski town. So if you want that kind of isolated feeling that uh, Stanley Kubrick got, or uh, not Stanley Kubrick, uh, Stephen King got when he stayed there, go up there during wintertime yeah. when we got married. Uh, so that's why I was surprised. You've never seen The Shining. It's it's a small little piece of, uh, of uh, a trivia of my life. Uh, my, my comment would be just as we start school back up again uh, to all the teachers out there, all the parents out there, uh, I wish you a great school year. Um, everyone's out for the best of their students. And so just a little bit of patience as we continue to come out of the pandemic and start to work toward normal again, or what semblance of normal is. So good luck to all the educators out there, not just the teachers, but the folks who work in the school industry, uh, but also to the parents. Uh, congratulations, you made it to the end of summer. You can send your kids away uh, to us. Beautiful, beautiful. Good luck with that, Alan. Um, for... <laughs> And to all the teachers and uh, parents and honestly, the kids too, because, yeah, you have to go back. Sorry about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, final thoughts for me. Um, I've gotten to see my fiance for the first time in a while. So that was cool. It's been nice seeing her again. Um, and then for let's see, I've been doing classical music. Um, listen to Einheld and Laban by Strauss. It's a banger. Um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> 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 
a tier dad joke dropping a gazoon type whenever you don't know what somebody <laughs> says just top tier comedy <laughs> um but yeah thank you guys so much for watching and listening to the usl show it's been great having everybody in the chat thank you to everybody who's listening via podcast um and for the final time of the night let's hear alan's voice thank you for watching another episode of the usl show this and every episode is brought to you by the beautiful game network find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm once again thanks for stopping by and we'll see you guys again next week